Uh, we looked at how Paul commanded the church to rejoice in the Lord. Um, the, the command is to enjoy the Lord, to find your rejoicing. That's, that's where you go to get your rejoicing, to get your joy, to find enjoyment. He, he commands it. It's kind of a strange command, but we unpacked it, and Paul was pretty severe um, in the way he dealt with people who were distracting the Philippian church from rejoicing in the Lord. Paul warned about the dogs and evildoers as they were putting roadblocks in the way of the Philippians from rejoicing in the Lord. Paul was infuriated that there are people, that there were people that were trying to uh, put things in place that would keep the church from enjoying and rejoicing in the Lord. He even spoke ill of circumcision, which was something that at one time was to, to be celebrated by the nation of Israel because the, the problem was it was no longer something that meant to represent their devotion to God. That was the original intent, that it was, these are God's people. This, this is a demonstration. These are, through circumcision, we, we saw who, the world saw who was God's people and, and who was not. And it had stopped being that and started becoming an act of self-gratification and an act of pride. We can see that in churches today when someone who wants nothing to do with God wants to take Lord's Supper or wants to be baptized. Um, when you go to uh, a funeral and someone who wanted absolutely nothing to do with God in this life and everyone stands around talking about how they're in a better place. Um, the cheapness of, of important things. You know, there's, there's a lot of self-gratification and a lot of pride. And so, like I said, what's what, what was once an act of worship had become an act of self-promotion, had become a stumbling block. You see, Paul's main goal personally and his main goal for the Philippians and for us is that we know and rejoice in Christ. That we know Jesus and that we find our enjoyment in Jesus. We looked at the Westminster Shorter Catechism. What is the chief end of man? What is the purpose, the goal? What is the ultimate purpose of man to glorify God and enjoy him forever? And there were people that were standing in the way of the Philippian church enjoying God. My encouragement to you this last week was that you would spend time getting to know Jesus. Because in knowing Jesus, we will find ourselves more devoted. As you gain uh, a knowledge of who Jesus is and know him from the word, you will, I promise, grow in your devotion. This week, um, Paul is encouraging the church and letting them know, kind of giving them, he kind of diverts a little bit and, and starts to give them... Um, some marching orders, if you will, but demonstrating it in his own life. See, 
Paul says here is not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. What is this and what is it, right? Not that I've already obtained this or I press on to make it my own. What he's talking about is becoming like Christ, knowing Jesus, growing in his faith. Because Jesus has made me his own. So this is an important thing. We want to just kind of stop for a second and recognize this. Who is it that does the work of making you belong to Jesus? Answer it out loud if you know the answer. Who has made you Jesus's? Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Well, how could you? Jesus doesn't. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straying forward to what lies ahead. You see, Paul recognizes that he still lives in this fallen world, a world still affected by sin. So Paul sees that he himself still sins and the believers in Jesus are still sinners, but this does not determine their redeemability. Just because they are not perfect does not mean they stop striving. Just because they are sinners doesn't mean that they stop pursuing righteousness. You know, we've, we've joked extensively about my belief that humans are not good, right? In fact, it was the first question that was asked of John when he had, you know, sitting here with Shannon. Jeff Gibson stands up and says, you a good person? And, uh, you know, it was funny. It still is funny. But I want to revisit this so we have a better understanding of this doctrine that I am pointing to, and it's the doctrine of depravity. You know, our phrase... Or a better phrase than what I used, you know, I, I used, you're not a good person. A better phrase is that humans are not inherently good. I heard a preacher say, 99.99% of people, deep down, they're good people. That is, one, unbiblical, two, a lie. People are inherently geared toward sin. This is the first thing a person must understand if they are going to be saved by Jesus, is that they actually need a Savior. That they are not righteous on their own. Because, you know, if deep down every person is inherently good and, you know, there's righteousness there, then there was no reason for Jesus to have to die But humans do not inherently seek what is good. That's it. That's why all of us struggle with something. Whether it be gossip, whether it be drunkenness, whether it be gluttony, whether it um, be lying, whether it be addiction, all of us struggle. We see in Psalm 14, 2-3, Psalm 53, 2-3, 
in Romans 3, 10 through 12, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one, but I want us to have a better, a better understanding of this doctrine. I've tried to help, but I've done a poor job communicating two things uh, in light of this doctrine. Right. Humans are inherently sinful. Every single one of us. But there are two things that are true that give hope. One, humans are 100% redeemable. Every single person in this room is 100% redeemable. Every single person outside of this room, outside of this church, outside of this town, is 100% redeemable and 100% valuable. Your enemy, people that you are an enemy of, are 100% redeemable and 100% valuable. Just because you are a sinner does not remove your value, value and your redeemability. Paul knows this. This is why he says, I forget what lie, lies behind, but I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Do not let your natural inclinations towards sin distract you from the good news of the gospel that God means to redeem you. Every one of you, God means to redeem you. See, Paul recognizes, I'm a sinner. I sin still. I don't consider myself perfect that I have gained perfect relationship with Christ, but here's what I do. I forget what lies behind. I repent and I strain forward to what lies ahead. You visualize this? Straining forward to what lies ahead? <clears throat> and in this moment, I, I, when he says this, I'm straining forward to li what lies ahead. I, I have this vision of a, a, a runner in a race just diving for the finish line. Or, or a ball player who wants to get on first so bad that they go in head first. Every coach says not to do this, but they do it. They're straining. They're, this is what they want. And they'll do whatever it takes to get there. And that's what Paul says. I have all these things that, that, that seek to slow me down, that seek to... Keep me from rejoicing in the Lord, but I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. He's straining. You know, remember last week, the call was to enjoy God. You know, the complete enjoyment of God, we, we can't have it or attain it in this life. Because we see in a mere dimly, right? Sin has fractured our relationship with God. 
But this is what Paul presses on and strains forward to and calls all of us to just because we live in a sinful world. Doesn't mean we don't strain. Doesn't mean we don't reach out. Doesn't mean we don't, in our desperation, try to gain Christ. That's why repentance is such a beautiful thing. Repentance is not when you beat yourself up over your sin. Repentance is simply a recognition, a recognition when you recognize, can't talk, when you recognize your sin, call it sin, and move away from sin. Paul gives marching orders to this church filled with Roman veterans in order that they might complete his call in verse 17 when he says, Brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. See what he says here? Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Remember, there's a lot of people trying to distract. A lot of people trying to give, you know, other things to rob your attention. Many of you sitting here, you're trying your darndest to pay attention to what I'm saying. Right? It's hard for humans to stay focused. Right? Something else is going on in your mind. Maybe it's your stomach. Tell your stomach to settle down. There's so much that will distract us or keep us from, even our own bodies trying to keep us from moving towards Christ, gaining Christ. But Paul says, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. It's a tragic reality, Paul reminds the church, that many of them in the church will not move on to Christian maturity. And it's a sad reality right here that, you know, me, preaching, some of you, maybe a lot of you, aren't moving towards Christian maturity. Or aren't even trying. And nothing grieves, you know, the Apostle Paul or nothing grieves me like the knowledge of people within the church are just faking it, hoping that they're making it. Breaks my heart to see people claim Jesus as their Savior and then want nothing to do with him. people call themselves Christians and then they indulge in every single work of the flesh. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. This is, these are the works of the flesh and I can't tell you how often I see people celebrate this stuff and call themselves Christians. And listen, Scripture is very serious. This is what Paul has to say here. For people who live their lives in unrepentant patterns of works of the flesh, your future is in verses 18 and 19. 
for many of whom I have told you, and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. I'm going to ask you a real tough question. Are you sitting here thinking more about earthly things than what's going on in my mouth? Is it hard to give your attention to things God has commanded you? If you're dealing with a fussy baby, you are uh, out of the you know, judgments on here. Okay? Okay. But, how many times have you checked your phone just to make sure nothing better is going on? How often is your mind set more on earthly things than on the things of God, even when you're sitting in church? That's how devoted our minds are to the things of this earth. We can't sit through a sermon without getting stuck on those things. I don't preach that long, y'all. I know that a lot of you think, gosh, he just goes on and on and on. Try a different church sometime and see how you like that. <laughs> go to a real reformed church where you sit for an hour and a half sermon. Go to a, go to a Catholic mass. Do something just so you come back and be like, well, it's not that bad. <laughs> or try a Lutheran church where there's no children's ministry and you got everybody's got their kid in there, right? Listen, this is not that much. Sitting through a sermon is not that much. If you can't do that, listen, you got to pray. And you got to ask God's help. Because if you are struggling to make it through an hour-long service on Sunday mornings, I'm not sure what's going on the rest of the week in your walk with the Lord. We don't want to just get by as Christians. We don't want to just fake it until we make it. Because listen to this. This is Hebrews 6.3. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ, elementary, childish, immature doctrine of Christ, and go on towards maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works or faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, laying on hands, the resurrection from the dead, and eternal judgment. Let's, let's move on from elementary doctrines and become mature in Christ. Listen to this. You want to move from immaturity in your faith to maturity, but this is this we will do if God permits. Do you see what this says? And you look again at verses 18 and 19 of Philippians chapter 3. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. They're, they're in his destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame. How often do we see people glorify their shame? They, they, they make a big deal of their sin. They celebrate it. I remember seeing these t-shirts. I love Jesus, but I cuss a little. What, what the heck? Scripture is straightforward. That you are to keep foolish talk, coarse jesting away from your mouth, and we celebrate it on a t-shirt. 
What are we doing here? So what can we do? Because all of us are going to be found lacking, right? We got this. We're sinners. We get it. So what are we going to do? One, do not join in the celebration of sinful flesh gratification, okay? At the very least, don't celebrate sin with everybody. I see so much celebration of drunkenness on social media. At the very least, can we not join in that? I see the celebration of sin and sexual immorality. Let's not celebrate people destroying themselves spiritually and even physically. So what can we do? Like I said, one, do not celebrate, celebrate sin and do not take the things of God lightly the commands of God, the calls of God. Do not find these things light or second tier in your life. And then verse 17, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. What can you do to keep your lives aimed in an eternal direction? You can keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have Paul says, in us, but there are people in your life that are going to keep you focused on eternal things. You know who those people are. I know you know them. So your job is to shut out distractions and focus on those people in your life that are going to spur you on towards Christ. Paul tells the church in Philippi, keep your attention on those who are pursuing the kingdom. You know, we, we talk about peer pressure with our kids, but honestly, it's way worse with adults. It's just we changed like all the things we pressure each other with to be like good stuff. Right? It's good to gain wealth. It's, it's good to gain things. It's good to present yourself, you know, healthy and, and it's good to, you know, fill in the blank with whatever. But then grown-ups, we, we it's good stuff now. And so we can pressure each other to gain more. And so we start focusing on the people around us about us and what, and what we want them to think about us and then we forget all about Jesus Christ and what he hopes and what's for us and then all of a sudden all we can think about is earthly things and heavenly things aren't even on our radar I can't tell you for me how hard it is to go to a sporting event and see people who can't find time for the things of God sing praises to their ball team. You know, you come to Sunday morning and worship and you hear people 
Now, I've heard guys say, oh, I'm just not a singer. I just don't like to sing. Oh, you sang at the Chiefs game. I heard it. So don't tell me you're not a singer. You just got your worship stuff out of whack. I, you know, I'm not really an evangelist. Oh, you posted about Donald Trump. Don't worry. <laughs> we all saw it. These excuses we come up with to make ourselves feel comfortable about our spiritual immaturity, they're killing us. <coughs> Y'all, your citizenship is not here. We love Gower, don't we? This is our people. This is our community. These are the people that we feel responsible for spiritually. This is the place that my wife and I call home. And this is the place that we are going to work to serve God's kingdom as long as he'll permit. But my citizenship is not here. Verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven. The people in this town that surround us We love them, but what we hope for is someplace else. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body that's described in the book of Revelation by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. That's the power of God. So often, we ask, is whatever a sin? Oh, it's not a sin to drink. It's not a sin to, to smoke. It's not a sin. Like we, we, we justify things by calling them not a sin. But here's the reality. Don't ask if it's a sin. Ask yourself, does it help you run? You know it's not a sin is to run a marathon with a 50-pound backpack on. But do you see a whole lot of marathon runners with 50-pound backpacks on? It's not a sin to play baseball in your socks. Is it a good idea? It's not a sin to play an entire round of golf with a putter. Is it helpful? I ain't doing it. That club's too short. We gotta move beyond this elementary principle and this immaturity of is it a sin? We gotta move towards does it help me run? Because listen, Katrina was watching some video, I don't know what it was, babe. We get so distracted about things in this life that got no impact in heaven. What are we doing? says, store for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where moth and rust don't destroy, where thieves can't break in and steal. And so, i got to ask, what's your portfolio in heaven looking like?
We all know about the stuff here. Katrina and I moved recently. We know all about all the junk we have. You know, being faithful with your finances, not a bad thing. Good thing. God glorifying thing. But is the life you're living now changing anything in heaven? Is what you're doing right now changing eternity at all? And, and you gotta ask. Beyond your own self. Alright, well, I'm a Christian, I'm saved, I'm gonna go to heaven. Wonderful. Praise the Lord. Is anybody else getting there with you? Is anybody else celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ because of the spiritual influence you have in their life? It can't be enough that we're just not sinning. Because listen to me. When you get to that point, when you get to the, um, well, at least I'm not sinning, that's the attitude of the person that wants nothing to do with God in this life and then expects a whole bunch of rewards from him in the next. Do you hear that? You want nothing to do with God in this life? You don't want him to bother your time? You don't want him to bother your calendar? Or you don't want him to bother all the things that you're committed to and devoted to and then you're going to go to heaven and all of a sudden he owes you a bunch of stuff? Don't lie to yourself. God knows your heart. He's not fooled, even if you have all the people in your life fooled. God knows your heart. And that's the thing that's important, is our heart before God. And that our relation and that our relationship with God be one of integrity. And not of show, performance. Looks I look good to everybody at church. Who cares? Are you leaving behind the elementary principles and moving on towards maturity? And so here's what we gotta do in closing. I'm ready to come up and lead us in the closing song. Here's what we gotta do, y'all. One, let's come to terms with the truth of where we're at spiritually and not do this pretend thing. Don't do the, you know, at least I look good to everybody else thing. That's what Jesus called being a whitewashed tomb. Dead, rotting flesh on the inside, good enough on the outside. Can't do that. Here's what we ought to do. We ought to, just like the Apostle Paul, forget what lies behind. Think, forget about the things that are going to be dead in this life and that you're going to leave behind. And strain forward to what lies ahead. Press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. If your desire in this life is to enjoy God... Eternity is going to be heaven to you. If your goal in this life is just to be satisfied and have enough, you won't want heaven. You'll want more of, of the, the things of this world. And, and heaven sounds miserable to people who want more of the things of this world. So, let's move on towards Christian maturity. Let's strain forward, forget what's going to be dead. 
forget what's going to be left behind, and strain forward towards the goal, the call, the upper call in Christ Jesus to rejoice in the Lord and to enjoy the Lord. That's what we want to do. So I encourage you to stand. We're going to have a time of response. Maybe you've got to respond right where you're at. Maybe you would like to pray with me. Maybe you need to come and pray at the altar by yourself. Um, maybe this morning you feel compelled um, or the call to join our church, become a part of our church family, and, and go through the process of becoming a member of our church. Or maybe you need to surrender your life to the Lord and do some repenting and, and have Him as your Savior for the first time in your life. This is no small thing and nothing to mess around with. There is no time to dilly-dally on the things of the Lord. Today's the day to repent and get right with Him. Okay? So I'm going to pray, and then you respond how God's calling you. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would have helped all who are here this morning to hear your word, not mine. That the message from the text this morning would be the message that they heard. And that the call of Scripture would be um, weighty. And, and would call us to repentance. Lord, I pray that we would not ignore your voice in our lives, calling us to repent, calling us to move forward, calling us to strain more for the things of the kingdom. pray that you would bless all of us here, um, knowing that you are seeking to redeem us. pray this in your name, Jesus.